welcome to another episode of Pursue Inclusion UWA. By the time this goes live, the main event has occurred on November 4th on the UWA campus, but the quest continues. And on today's episode, I have the pleasure to talk to Vanessa Vershaw. Now, I have a question, Vanessa. Yeah. Do you actually go by Franzen or Vanessa? Um, uh, Vanessa is fine. V- Franzen is my maiden name. Ah, okay. All right. So you probably yeah. don't go by that one then. So that makes a lot of sense. Okay. <laughs> D- definitely not. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> Vanessa, thank you for joining me on this. In an aim to give the audience kind of some context, as to who you are and what you're at. Can you give me the 10,000 foot view? Yes, certainly. So I'm an organizational psychologist by trade who moved into opening my own business six years ago ago called Reinvention Consulting. And I specialize in leadership uh, and culture transformation, but also with a focus on strategy and innovation in which obviously the whole theme of inclusion is part of a more systemic offering and view. So, so talk to me about, the, I think the leadership stuff is really interesting. I have a book coming out in the spring on leadership. And so do you have a philosophy in terms of how you, so last night I was on the radio, right? I have a radio show with someone here and we talked about, about leaders being created or born. And for me, it's created. I think that's a no brainer, but we had to have a dichotomy relationship or conversation about it. But what are your thoughts in terms of your methodology of, of leadership? Do you have a certain methodology you use or is it each leader's their own? Look, I think my philosophy is, you know, to your point, I'm not sure that everybody is a leader or even wants it. And I think, I think um, in the work that I do, that's probably um, a first place that I start. You know, there are so many people who are reluctant leaders who probably shouldn't be in those roles, to be quite frank. They, they're trying because they feel that they must um, and aren't really nailing it. And then as a result of that, just feeling this incredible imposter syndrome and um, lack of happiness so it doesn't really set them up for success. So I think with with leadership, you have to be really clear around, is this really you? And are you prepared to do what it takes to to engage in that and to be that? And then looking at the notion of leadership around, well, what is leadership? There's personal leadership, which is how I'm going to lead and how I'm going to choose every situation as an opportunity to actually have an impactful um, encounter? Or is leadership for me more around leading people and organisations in the broader context? And am I actually really clear on what that looks like and prepared, willing and skilled and feeling confident enough to actually do what it takes to be that and do that. So I think it's, you know, that's a very big question, but in a nutshell, I think it's firstly figuring out what that means to each individual that I work with. And to be honest, James, I mean, I've worked with some pretty heavy hitters over the last 18 years, probably like yourself, and quite a number of um, very successful inverted commas leaders of major global organisations that, that I've met are very reluctantly in that role. So it's very interesting about how that actually translates and then what that means for what they create in their businesses. But that's another story. Well, you know, it's, uh, we're totally going on the wrong topic, but I'll, 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 I'll pivot in a second because of a time constraint. But, you know, I think what's interesting is we, this conversation we were having last night is a lot of times leaders may not perceive themselves as leaders, but others might perceive them as perceive them as leaders. And it's that disconnect sometimes, which is really kind of interesting that you try to bridge, so to speak, you know, like you are a leader. Well, I don't think I'm a leader. Well, everyone else sees you as a leader. So if the perception is there, you might want to, you know what I mean? Own it, 
I guess would be the word I'm looking for. Uh, I think potentially, James, but then it's another thing around, you know, it's owning it, but also being truly wanting to to do it and be it. And I think that's the kicker sometimes, you know. Are you, do you truly want this? True. You know, and I, and, I, and I think that's what we have to explore because not everybody does and they're pushed in it because they seemingly good at it, but then it creates an incredible amount of angst and unhappiness. So what's that all about, you know? So let, let, let's take this as a jumping off point to the, to the general conversation. You know, when, you, when you're working with someone, and this is going to be a totally different take on this idea of diversity and inclusion, but I think it's a really important take from an organization standpoint. You know, everyone I've talked to kind of does societal inclusion, which I think we should all agree that's probably fairly important. But in an organization, this is a challenge, right? So when you work in an organization and you see different groups of people who have different thoughts, different philosophies, different attitudes – you know, does it make you think sometimes that organizations want to have that diversity in terms of thought? Or do you think that from an inclusion standpoint, they want to get everyone's opinion at the table so that they can have the best informed thoughts and choices to make? Does that make sense? <laughs> That's such a loaded question, James. Um, okay. So it is not loaded. There is a blank in there somewhere. It's totally loaded. <laughs> Yeah, right. Uh, look, I think I'm going to just, you know, put myself out there and say a couple of things. You know, we live in this, uh, what is it that, that guy calls it, the VUCA world. We're living in this VUCA world where things are insane. What is it Kofi Annan said? We're in a time of unprecedented uncertainty. And any way to really um, move with change, I don't like the idea of managing change. I think that's crap. To move with change is to find a way to work together. So that's my premise here. And I think that stands for anything around being able to move with change as an organisation or as a person and how we actually respond to uh, the ever-changing context. So I'm going to start there. I think that... Sure, but not, everyone wants getting... to be in, but not everyone wants to be in that boat, Vanessa, at the end of the day, right? Not everyone wants to be in that boat rowing the same direction. No, they don't. And I think that, though, they talk about how do we actually rise to that challenge, but they are not prepared to be that um, and do what it takes. That's what I'd say. And I think, again, it's about really, really being clear around, you know, so as an example, lots of uh, organisations in the resources sector are talking about being innovators and being uh, technology businesses in the mining sector, as an example. But do they actually understand what that's going to take? And you've got this traditional business who's trying to claw its way into a reimagining of self and and they're not actually, they don't necessarily have the mind, right mindset or the culture to be able to support thinking differently or a highly collaborative working environment, being creative and cognitively flexible. And so there are some very big shifts that have to happen around the thinking and the willingness to explore, well, am I actually, is this a business that can really go where it needs to go to support what we're saying we want to be? So some very tough questions. And I, and I imagine that in those, that particular industry, it's such a historic industry very conservative yeah. in nature, very safe in nature, very consistent in nature in terms of what they do. So when you try to create an innovative disruption within those type of organizations, it is not, it's like a fish swimming up water. I mean, it's a fight. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it is a fight. And it feels like that. It really feels mm. like you're kind of wading through molasses. <laughs> um, it really does. But, you know, that's part of it. And I think you know, part of the approach that's worked really well for us so far is if I can work with individual leaders and start to shift their thinking and thinking differently and really understanding 
what this looks like and what this might need to look like and then focusing on owning their own 50% as a starting point, you can slowly start to get traction in the rest of the organisation. But I find that that truly to get that inclusion and that diversity, you have to start making a difference at the individual level and changing, you know, the major people in the organisation's perceptions and agility in that space and understanding and making it realisable to start to really get some traction in the business systemically. So so I guess, you know, for me, I, I start thinking about the idea of, all right, so you work with these organisations and you want to create the ideals of inclusion. So when you see this work at its best, right, this idea of inclusion, you know, the question obviously is, is why do we need it? But I don't really care about why we need it. I think why we need it has probably been answered. I think what's more important is what's the outcome when we do it at an organizational level? Yeah, so the out, great question. So to answer that question very succinctly, there's a couple of things I think just that we have to consider at a societal level. And the idea that, you know, we hear it all the time, we are connected more than ever before, blah, blah, blah. And we are, (laughs) you know. I hope you talk to your clients that way too. All right, blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah. (laughs) And we are less connected than ever before. And what I'm seeing is a sense of, of absolute no belonging. There is no sense of belonging, true belonging, that is happening at a soul and human level. So that for me is the fundamental challenge, is how do we actually in this world that we're in become more connected at a meaningful and soul level to create a sense of belonging and community in our organisations through the way we engage that has purpose for people at, at at a deeper level. And that's what I think the ultimate outcome. And then that leads to everything else around, you know, what we focus on as a business, where we take our business, what's the actual focusing on having higher order goals that have societal impact around social innovation, corporate social responsibility, real life-changing, world-changing global perspectives that make the world a better place without sounding completely corny. But that's what this is about. We've got to, aren't we put on this earth to contribute? Isn't that why we're here? So then why, why is this topic so important to you? Why is it so personal? Because it's so personal because I, I am at the coalface of seeing people who are absolutely disconnected. They're depressed. They're lonely. There's mental illness. You couldn't believe, and maybe you do, working with some of the top leaders around the place that actually have addictions problems, and it's all hidden. This is what's going on. There's a there's a there's a dark underbelly and a shadow that is happening at our top leadership levels. Well, I think, and that I think that, that's that's what we need to look at. I mean, I think for a lot of them, it's it was that type A personality that got them there, and this idea of achievement, and now they've achieved it, and now there's a void. And how do they fill that void to put purpose in there to drive them to the next level? You know? Bingo. Yeah. Bingo. And and I think it'll be linked to something higher though, and and that's what I really focus is what does this mean to you how does this transit what do you stand for you know i'm trying to get them connected to something other than themselves yeah. and then bringing that philosophy into the business to create a sense of belonging and, and purpose which unites people so inclusion for me and diversity is not just ethnicity it's not you know the whole thing around gender yeah absolutely but it's also around how we think how we be what we do you know it's the whole it, it, it's a plethora of different aspects that we need to consider so i don't I, I really get um, aggravated when the inclusion and diversity topic is, is um, uh, you know, um, stopped at one aspect. 
you've got to consider people holistically and you've got to consider the issue holistically. So I guess, you know, for me, how do you how do you do this with these senior leaders? How do you get them in the work you do to think about inclusion as a benefit, not a chore? To be honest, there are a couple of ways. The first thing, it really depending on what the leader is presenting, you know, say, for example, the most obvious, if I have a leader who is completely disconnected and unhappy, then the benefits of inclusion, of inclusion and creating a place of belonging through their leadership and the way they engage and bringing people together um, is, is an obvious um, avenue. The, the other one is really about... Can I ask um, you a question about that really quick? Yeah. Do you, do you find yeah. that leaders are really uncomfortable with some leaders are uncomfortable with reaching out to all aspects of the organization to get to know those individuals? Oh, look, definitely. I think it's a mixed bag of licorice all sorts, to be honest. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's another yeah, great analogy, it, Vanessa. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's different. But um, if a leader is unhappy, then I'll try to understand why that is. And, and traditionally and typically it's because they're just, there isn't that, there isn't that, spark or that mojo or that connection and so that could be personally or professionally so that's something I definitely explore as a way to uh, bring about the um, the benefits of inclusion which is engagement community relationships heart and soul fulfillment not to sound completely cheesy but let's that's that's one side the other of course are the obviously business benefits of inclusion and you know I talked a little bit about innovation and um, you know God forbid I should use the word use the word disruption, but hey, I'm going to. And you know, thinking about it at a much societal level, the benefits and a business level, the benefits of actually having a more inclusive, diverse organisation enables you to be, you know, agile, moving with change. Um, it, it enables the fluidity, and it gives you a diversity of thought, which is really important. Well, creativity, a big yeah. one. So yeah. if you look at the top the top 10 skills for 2020 when we're looking at what's going to be prized and, and needed to be able to be sustainable in, 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 a business, in the business world, number three is creativity. Well, how do you get creativity? How do you unleash creative potential in your organisation? You've got to have diversity of thought and you've got to be embracing it, knowing how to harness it, drive it. What is it, that quote? Individually gifted, collect, collectively brilliant. And I think we've, we've got to move to that. That's going to make the difference. But I think a lot of a lot of inst- a lot of organizations love the word creativity. They don't know what mm. it actually means, and they don't know no. how to actually get people a part of that process. No. no, that's right, and that's what that's what I'm working on. So I'm working with a couple of um, key thought leaders in the space to actually really focus on how do you truly unlock creative potential, of which um, having an inclusive environment is is part of that. You know, that's how you create it. That's the creation, right? So, um, so I guess that leads yeah. me to my like one of my last questions I have for you. And thank you for your time. I know you and I had to move things around about five times due to my schedule and then whatnot. So, you know, often in organizations, diversity is the talk, inclusion is the talk. But what I'm always curious mm. about is once you get past leadership, how do you start having the conversation of inclusion and having a true conversation about it, not an idealistic conversation about it? Uh, look, I always link the idea of inclusion to culture and I, I make those direct links and I try to, I, I think it's one of those things, it's like culture, which is um, people kind of have heard it a million times like inclusion, but they don't really understand practically what it might look like or what the benefits might be. It's kind of a little nebulous and it means different things to different people. 
So I think creating a common language and understanding of what it means, how it's going to benefit the organisation or the individual, and then what are the things we really need to be thinking about strategically, culturally, and from a people perspective to actually um, actually drive this as an outcome. That's what I that's what I tend to that's how I tend to think about it. So you know. I think this is, this is I, could, I, I need to actually get you on my own, my podcast that I have, because I think this is a really interesting conversation, because I, you know, often when we talk about inclusion, we, it's a societal issue, and the societal issue will bring mm. it into the organization. But as that process unfolds, it takes a decade. It takes, you know, a generation to really embed that, and certain countries are better at it than others. Um, certain mm. countries are much more inclusive focused. I know that, you know, being American, I think that we are... We attempt, but we're pretty poor at it. And you know, you can speak to our Australian culture stronger than I can. But I think at an organizational level, how do you, in the meantime, start bridging those gaps? And you know, I'm sure you see this. The leaders that get it, the transformation their organization makes over you know a 12, 18, 24 month period, depending on the size, is magical. When when the whole entire culture shifts. And the whole entire culture gets it, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's amazing. And so the way I kind of, my approach, I call it, here's another analogy, I call it the drip feed approach to (laughs) inclusion. Um, And what it basically is for me is because it's one of these things where people are timorous and it's a little bit kind of shady and grey, you know, it's nuanced, um, and we can't put it into a box. And it's uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable, but I love, you know, in order to be to be inclusive, you've got to revel in the discomfort, right? You've got to, That's part of that's part of the um, part of the journey towards greatness. But I like to um, do interventions or do pockets of transformation. So I drip feed pockets of transformation and start with a something small and then watch it like have the butterfly effect. And that's yeah. how I typically roll. I don't go in, you know on this big crusade saying, this is what we're going to do and we're going to take a systemic transformation approach. No, 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 no. <laughs> you start you start small and you get people used to it mm-hmm. and seeing the benefits and feeling it and having the experience. And then little by little, it takes patience, you spread it out into the rest of the organisation um, with those wins and people wanting to be part of it. And, you, you know, you do some engagement around it. You promote it a little bit. You... Slowly, slowly, you create that tipping point. Yeah, it, you know, I think I think what's great about that is I'm actually um, in the spring. I'm going to Cleveland to take a course on appreciative inquiry. And, oh, I love it. And so, have you, are you familiar with it? Yeah, I'm a practitioner actually. Oh, so okay. I'm a positive psychologist. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's just it's just a fascinating thing for me where. I think that like it's such a powerful tool if you can do it. And this this organization I'm going in going to specializes in large group uh, appreciative mm. inquiry, and I think it's just a powerful thing. So um, it looks like my next my next guest is actually online now. So that's why, <laughs> that's why I was that's why I was still talking because he didn't show up yet. So I was like, oh, let's keep chatting. So uh, no listen, Vanessa, thank you for your time and energy and willingness to be part of this pursue inclusion in UWA. Uh, I love the angle we took. So thank you so much for your time. Oh, thanks for having me, James. It was an absolute pleasure. And look, let me know if you'd like to butt heads, share notes again. <laughs> I, I love a lively debate I'm, yeah. <laughs> and I'm prepared to uh, explore new horizons. So All don't right. hesitate. Thank you so much. Have a lovely day. Okay, cheers. Bye-bye. Bye.
We hope you enjoyed listening to UWA's Alumni Pursue Inclusion podcast. Make the commitment to leave no one behind by taking part in our movement towards an inclusive society. Join an inclusion project or inspire others to act through the great work you are already doing by visiting pursueinclusion.uwa.edu.au.